May the Lord give you his peace. You're listening to the From the Friars podcast from the community of Franciscans of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York. Please subscribe, uh, leave us a few stars or a review to help spread the word. Happy Mother's Day to everyone today. And uh, you're going to hear two homilies, part one and part two. We had the same readings a couple of days here recently, so two different homilies on the same reading. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy might be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you his peace. It's wonderful to see all of you here uh, this evening. The readings are just so full of the heart of it all. This commandment to love, to love God, to love one another. Um, What did Peter tell us in the first reading? It's not that we love God. No, God loved us first. And then he invites us to a relationship in which we respond by loving him back. And we respond by loving one another Not that you chose me, but I chose you. The words of Jesus, so beautiful. God is love. Love one another. That is my commandment. No greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And and Jesus would say that he wants his joy to be in us and that our joy would be complete. Boy, there's a lot of great stuff in here. What, what can I say? Um, one of my favorite writings from Pope Francis, he wrote a, a letter, cyclical letter, on the joy of living our faith and that our witness needs to be joyful, the joy of the gospel. And um, I love the theme of joy. And I'm going to share with you some pretty wild things about the joy that Jesus is talking about here. I think we all are familiar with the word joy. And uh, any one of you could come up to the microphone here, right, and share, like, what does the word joy mean? It, it, it carries with it kind of a sense of happiness, a sense of gladness, a sense of mirth, 
These are all synonyms, right? You know, like joy. And um, what is the joy of Jesus? What is he talking about? That his joy would be in us. And I did a deep dive into the word joy in the Bible. Believe it or not, there, there's a rich, deep theological meaning when this word gets used in the Bible. And uh, I'm going to try to give you the, the miniature version this evening, okay? <laughs> in the Gospel of John, the word joy is used seven times. And uh, it's connected to, well, it's connected to the Old Testament idea of joy. And there are two ways that the Old Testament uses the idea of joy that is so important to know because I think it's behind what Jesus is saying here. The first of one is used at a wedding. In the Old Testament, in many passages, you'll find references to the joy at a wedding. And we know, right, that the metaphor that the Bible uses above everything else to describe the relationship that God wants to have with us is the marriage, right, the wedding. It's what you'll see at the very end of the Bible, that mysterious book of Revelation, right? The end of time. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb when God is the groom and the church is the bride in each one of us. And um, so there's a joy that is at a wedding. And that is one of the most joyful things any of us see here, right? You think of a, the joy of a wedding and everything that surrounds the ceremony of a wedding. It's so joyful to see two people you know, committing themselves to one another in love. And St. Paul says that, that Jesus' death on the cross was Jesus the groom offering his life for his church, the bride. So there's something very deep and beautiful there. In John chapter 3, St. John the Baptist will say that I'm so joyful that the Messiah is here, like the joy of the voice of the bride and the groom, the reference to the wedding. And you'll see that in Jeremiah chapter 33 that when the Messiah comes, there will be great joy at the voice of the bride and the groom. So there's, there's something there of a nuptial espousing relationship. And that is um, the joy that a, a married couple have on their wedding day. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, really, there's, how else can we describe the joy? And um, the other context of the word joy is when the Jews would be going three times a year to pray at the temple. And there were some of the Psalms in the book of the Psalms were Psalms that the Jews would sing as they were going to Jerusalem to the temple for prayer. And a lot of those Psalms contain the theme of joy. And, and it's interesting, it's a joy because we are coming into the presence of God. Right, God who was present in the temple in Jerusalem in a very real and mysterious way. So there's these psalms. I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The Jews would pray. When I was in the Holy Land, we would pray. I would get out the Bible. We would pray some of these psalms of ascent as we were heading to Jerusalem, to God's presence. And uh, so this is the other big theme for joy. And I think this might be a theme that means the most because... The, the, the pilgrimage of the Jews to the temple to be in God's presence at God's house, that is a metaphor for this life. We are on pilgrimage in this life and where are we going? We are journeying. We are traveling to the presence of God in heaven. 
And on this pilgrimage, as we're making our way, we sing joyfully. We know where we're going. We know why we are here. We know what's waiting for us on the other side, the house of our Father. And as we travel to that destination through this foreign land where we are, this is not our homeland, it's joyful. It's joyful. And and here's the thing that completely and totally blows my mind. There is a moment that's waiting for each one of us. Sometimes when I'm hearing confessions, I will give this as a penance. I want you to think about the moment of your death. You close your eyes in this world, you open them in the other. And what is waiting for us? That moment when you come through, well, in the language of the Bible, the pearly gates, no more death, no more sickness, no more sorrow, nothing impure or evil, but you will see God face to face. We will be with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will be with our loved ones, with the angels forever. And you can imagine this experience of joy, your first step into the heavenly Jerusalem. Paradise. That is the the fullest meaning of this joy, the joy that the Trinity has. Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you. The joy that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have in their relationship. They're the one God who is a communion of love in persons. He's like, come into that. So there is this moment of joy that's waiting for you, and it's going to happen. And right now, we're going towards it. And here's the thing. We don't have to wait for that moment to experience the joy. Through the gift of hope, through the gift of faith, sometimes that joy that will be ours in its fullness breaks through. The light breaks through the cloud, you know? And we have tastes of that joy now, the joy of being forgiven. I love it when I go to confession. I I don't go to confession to myself. (laughs) You imagine me in front of a mirror? How long has it been? Uh, You know. What did you do? You know, (laughs) you were there. Okay, no. I go to confession and I hear the priest pronounce the words of Jesus' forgiveness over me. I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's such a joyful experience to be forgiven. And I have moments when I'm hearing confessions and I'm ministering God's mercy to you. And I I cannot express to you the joy that a priest feels when he ministers God's mercy to his beloved. There are no words to describe that joy. The joy of God's love breaking into our lives. And... um, I'm going to conclude with kind of a wild story. Uh, We could do a Bible study on this idea of the joy of Jesus. We could look at the Greek. We could look at the Hebrew words. We could look at the other passages where the word joy is being used. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something even better. Um, I think some of the best ways to understand Jesus and his teaching are to look at the lives of the saints. You could have a biblical scholar who could tell you a lot about the Bible, right? But then you come across a saint 
who teaches you more about what this means by how they lived. You know, the saints are the best interpreters of the Bible for us. And I want to tell you about this joy that Jesus gives us, even in difficult circumstances. In the early days of the church, it was illegal to be a Christian. It was illegal to go to mass. And we have accounts of people being martyred for their faith, being killed for doing what you're doing right now. And you know, the, the Romans were so baffled because these Christians were singing joyful hymns to God as the animals ate them. They sang joyfully during their martyrdom. And there's accounts of these little girl martyrs, St. Cecilia, St. You know, Agnes, you know, they're like little, you know, 11 year old girl. And here's this big burly executioner to chop her, uh, that's a little graphic, to martyr her. And he gets defeated through her joy, through her love, through her faith. She's like, my neck is right here. This powerful joy. And uh, for me, the most powerful example of this idea of laying down your life for your friend is St. Maximilian Kolbe. How many of you know St. Maximilian Kolbe? A Franciscan priest. He lived in Poland during World War II. And um, he was martyred in July of 1941. And he was in Poland. The, the German Nazi troops came in and started arresting the priests and the religious. And they came to his friary and they took his rosary out of his hand and they punched him right in the face. And he, he responded by being so joyful. It completely confused everybody. And they took him and the other friars to the concentration camp, Auschwitz. And he said to the brothers, kind of joyfully, brothers, let's go. We have a new mission. I'm waiting on a new assignment myself. I don't know if I'm going to be that joyful. Okay. So they get to the concentration camp. Um, I had the opportunity to visit there twice. And um, early July, 10 people escaped the concentration camp. And so what the Nazis did is they picked 10 prisoners to starve to death as a punishment and as a deterrent for other prisoners trying to escape. And it, what they did, it was so sadistic. Um, they had built these rooms in kind of like at the basement level, but the rooms had windows that kind of went out to the courtyard and as the people would be starving to death, they say it's one of the most painful ways to die. They would scream and cry out and that the whole concentration camp would be filled with the sound of people screaming as they starved. And that it was so disturbing. It was like psychological warfare to, to discourage the other people from escaping. So they picked out 10 random prisoners and the, the last man they picked out started to cry. And he started to say, I have a family, I have a family. Maximilian Colby stepped forward and he says, can I take this guy's place? He laid down his life for his friend and much to the surprise of everybody, the Nazis were so shocked that they agreed to it and Maximilian took this man's place. And uh, later on in life, this man went around the world giving his testimony. I got to hear him speak when I was younger. So they put the 10 of them down into this room to starve them to death. 
And St. Maximilian had them singing joyful hymns to God. And the entire concentration camp was filled with the sound of joyful Christian hymns. It completely backfired. And one by one, each one of those people died. Maximilian, as a priest, was there to minister to them as they died. He was the last one to, to live. He did not die. And when the Germans came into the cell to inject him, to kill him, he looked at them with so much love they couldn't look at him. Later on, they wrote their testimony. They, they couldn't look at him. And just as Jesus laid down his life for us, by extending his arms on the cross, St. Maximilian extended his arm to receive the injection. So a, a tremendous example of what Jesus is teaching us here. No greater joy than to lay down your life for your friend. How could St. Maximilian do all of that? It's because of the joy of Jesus. That joy that is waiting for us that will be fulfilled in heaven, but even now we get experiences of that joy. Even in the midst of difficulties, joy is possible because we know that we are loved. We know why we're here. We know where we're going. We know what waits for us on the other side. Let me correct myself. I think it's better to say we know who waits for us on the other side. Our loving father and so those like those jews on pilgrimage to the temple to god's presence we pray let us rejoice as we go to the house of the lord O zion amen hey thank you for listening that was uh, the first homily now here is the second homily on the same reading but a different theme thank you for listening and god bless you My brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you his peace. Amen. We have a very beautiful reading this morning, don't we? Where Jesus is giving us really the heart of his message. And uh, the very heart of what he taught us was that God is love and that God loves us. And then the Lord invites us to love him in return. It's like the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is to be a person of love. And uh, it's so beautiful and so moving and, and it uh, resonates with our humanity, huh? If you were to go on a car, a car drive and um, surf the radio channels as you're driving, how many of those songs that you hear on all the different radio stations have love as the theme? Like almost all of them, right? So there's something so authentic to our humanity, the way God has made us. We were made for love. And, um, but here's the thing, the word love is so used, uh, maybe sometimes overly used or maybe sometimes misused, where people will put the label of love on things that really are not love. So it needs a little bit of a correction. And uh, we even see that in the New Testament. There are a number of passages, including this one, where the Lord clarifies what is meant by the term love. And it's always connected to wanting what is good for the person. It's always connected to what is true. So the minute you unhinge from what is good for the person and what is true, you're misusing the term love. Um, 
And Jesus says here that you are my friend if you do what I command you. And in a few other passages, he'll say that if we say that we love God, but we don't do the commandments, we are liars. So there is no contradiction between loving God and following the commandments. The commandments are the guidance that our loving Father has given us. Um, That may not be so popular in some circles, huh? (laughs) Um, So Jesus offers the, the supreme example of his love by dying on the cross for us. And he says that in this passage, that no one has a greater love. Of all the loves, the greatest love is when someone lays down their life for their friends. He's talking about the sacrifice that he will make on the cross. And in the catechism, it says that Jesus' supreme proof of his love for us was his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And you know, when I was um, studying for my doctorate, I took a class on the um, theology of the cross and uh, the mystery of how do we understand what, what happened there with Jesus on the cross. And it's so deep and so rich and so profound that even after one semester of doing a deep dive, we felt like we were just scratching the surface. You know, uh, so a couple of things that uh, I think can help us to understand, and then I want to suggest one takeaway for all of us this morning, okay? The, um, the death and resurrection of Jesus stands at the very center of it all. The whole thing, the whole biblical story, the, the salvation history, the whole thing was coming to that moment when God himself would take our humanity, he would offer himself on the cross, die, be buried, and on the third day, he would rise victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. That's the very, very center. And um, this is what the whole thing was heading towards. And uh, there are a number of moments in the Old Testament that prefigure what Jesus was going to do. And uh, in this class that I took, we, we did a look at many of these things. It's so amazing. The story of Adam and Eve with the tree, Jesus, the new Adam with Mary, the new Eve at the cross, which is the new tree of life. So, um, when Abraham was going to offer his son Isaac in Genesis 22, remember, and the Lord stopped him and he, and he tells his son Isaac, God himself will supply the sacrifice because Jesus was coming to sacrifice himself, the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus. Um, But one that really moved me very deeply was the story of Noah and the ark. We all know that story, right? There was, the, the world was enveloped in sin and God sent the flood. And there was this ark, this big boat, which is symbolic of the church. And the wood of the ark is symbolic of the wood of the cross. And Noah and the animals were in the ark. And you remember when the floods subsided and then they came back, the the book of Genesis tells us that there was the rainbow. And in the Bible, the rainbow, it's being misused nowadays, but in the Bible, the rainbow was a symbol of God's covenant. And you know what's interesting is the word bow. When I was a kid, I used to think it was like a bow tie that, you, you know, like, but no, the word bow there the rainbow is the bow, like bow and arrow. And uh, when you see the rainbow, it has this kind of arc, right? So it's a bow that is being drawn. But where is the arrow pointed? 
up at the sky. And the early church fathers saw this as a sign that God was telling Noah that I will point the arrow at myself. Which again would be fulfilled when Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus on the cross took the punishment. He substituted himself for us. He took all of the sins of all humanity onto himself. And that was prefigured by that bow, that rainbow, where God points the arrow at himself. Isn't that something? Have you ever heard that before? I never heard that. <laughs> it's, it's in the early church fathers. So here's the takeaway. Jesus proves his love for us by offering himself on the cross. No greater love has anyone than to lay down their life for their friends. And he left us an example for us to follow. That's what it says in the first letter of St. Peter. And so brothers and sisters, our love is proved through sacrifice. You know, the more our faith costs something, the more we prove our love for God, the more our love for another in our relationships, the more we suffer, the more we're proving our love, right? That's Christian love, that you would love somebody even when it hurts. Um, isn't that beautiful? It's the journey from the old Adam to the new Adam, Christ. It's the journey from Eve to the new Eve, Mary. It's the journey from being selfish to being selfless. That is the, the story of the love that we're called to that our um, sufferings and our sacrifices become a proof of our love for God. When it's not easy, this might be one of the most dangerous things that we've, we've experienced is when things are so comfortable and so easy, we become spiritually flabby. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. And um, in my prayer this morning, I had a, a beautiful image, which I'll share with you, and that will be it. Um, so the love that God calls us to is like a compass. A compass always points north no matter what. And the love of the world is like a weather vane. Right? The weather vane, just wherever the wind is blowing, <laughs> that's the direction the weather vane goes to. But the love of God and the love that God calls us to is more like that compass that doesn't matter what the weather is, rain or sun, it always points to the north. You know, that's, that's the love that we're called to. And uh, again, it's uh, purified and proved through suffering. So let us pray for that grace this day as we give thanks to Jesus that the, the love that he had for us, that it cost him, and that he proved his love for us on the cross. And then he invites us to respond and to prove our love through our trials, through our sufferings. And uh, it is beautiful. Amen. You've been listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars, the renewal. Please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media, CFR underscore Franciscans.